Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. My name is Chris. His name is Craig. This is Bucks in the Basement recording uh, on the rare morning time schedule because last night was my son's 14th birthday. And Craig, we had we just had so much going on. I felt bad for the kid. Like he he had his full day of school and then he was starting high school hockey in the spring. So he's in the eighth grade and his high school team wanted him to start practice with the big boys. And so he's already playing with them. And so he was like, well, I got to go to this. And it was like a three and a half hour practice. And we still hadn't celebrated his birthday. And we were up late last night. And I was like, I can't, I can't do the show, man. I'm sorry. You know, sometimes, sometimes you got to put the kids in front of uh, of everything else. And seeing as how Major League Baseball isn't doing anything anyway, what what's the big deal if the show comes out a few hours late? What are you talking about, Chris? I mean, there's so much going on. If, if you listen to either side, there's you know, owners being horrible people and, and wanting to crush the, the little man. And Max Scherzer's a martyr out there, like just fighting for that little guy. You get a quote from Scott Boris that's saying he's fighting this fight even when he doesn't have to, when he has no skin in the game. The dude just got a contract three years, like $130 million or something. Of course he's got no skin in the game. He doesn't care. No, but you know what? The guy who got him, that contract, Scott Boros, has a ton of skin in the game. And if you don't think that guy isn't involved intensely in these negotiations, you're an idiot. Scott Boros is where he shouldn't be, but he has been lingering around this thing the entire time. I mean, the reason the players probably don't want arbitration is because he's trying to act as the arbitrator right now, and he's on their side because he wants to make him as much money as possible. He's way too involved in this, and some of the members of the press are way too involved in this. I mean, John Heyman works for MLB Network. Every time he puts something out, it's propaganda. MLB Network is nothing but an MLB propaganda network at this point. So when they put something out, take it with a grain of salt. You have no idea if it's true or not. Bob Nightingale is clearly getting all of his information directly from owners. Jeff Passan has got his head so far up the rear ends of the players right now to the point where you were telling me the story. I had missed it where supposedly he was telling some other podcast, he was on an ESPN podcast, and he was claiming that he was sending text and telling the players not to take the last deal. What is he involved for? There are way and too it, many people on the peripheral involved And it wasn't like he was thing. even texting just the players. He goes, I texted players and agents. Right. And said, are you going to take this crap sandwich deal? So why is he even texting agents? Like, why is that even like a, a lingering fact in all of this? They're going to get paid no matter what, Chris. We were talking about the CBA and the negotiations that happened back in like, you know, 2016 for the 2017 uh, CBA prior to this. The the big guys got what they wanted. It went up and it didn't even go up that much. The, the CBT tax did not go up that much. 
But it went up and they kept on getting what they were getting. And they took like this minimal amount for the little guy. And this time it's going up for the little guy, which they said that they're fighting for, that, that Max Scherzer is this martyr for. And the little guy is getting what what would be, you know, from 570000 the whole way up to 700000 They're getting this brand new created player bonus pool that never existed before. You got that stuff. So just basically say that we screwed up the last CBA negotiations and we're trying to get everything back that we should have gotten and should have fought more for during that period of time. Now, just say that. That's what you're trying to do. But you can't have it all because they're saying, oh, the, the players should hold on to this chip so they can use it in the next bargaining part. Well, why should the owners give in more and not hold on to something for the next bargaining part? It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You, you touch on a really interesting point, and I kind of want to expound upon it, and that is that these players that are currently stars that are this group that are pushing to try to get everything back that didn't happen in the last CBA, those guys were the ones that got screwed last time. Those were the guys that were taking minimum salaries or still in the minor leagues or in a deal with service time manipulation. They're the guys like Chris Bryant. He brought the grievance. He brought the grievance against Major League Baseball. That guy now finally has power. He and his friends are all in charge. And while I understand why they want to make up for how they were wronged in the past, you have to learn to take the win. And if, if reports today are true, and you never know because I'm reading it from John Heyman, who works for MLB Network, which is an extension of Major League Baseball in which everybody gets paid by Major League Baseball. So who knows how true it is? But supposedly today is a deadline that now has already been created in which if they're able to get something done, they will play 162, even though they said that would be impossible. Everything will go back to normal. Happiness, roses from the sky, sunshine shooting out of everybody's buttocks. And we're all back to one big happy Major League Baseball family. And Major League Baseball is trying to bring the competitive balance tax up now to $228 million in year one. Now, I don't know how it spreads out over five years, but if it has a natural progression, if all things are equal, what we're saying is Major League Baseball is coming up $8 million and the players would have to come down 10 And I know it's not a perfect middle-of-the-road thing, but if you start to argue now over itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny little amounts of money, now you start to bring your ire over to the players. Now you start to say, wait a minute, hold on a second. Look at all that you've accomplished. and you just want to crush them. At this point, if everything's being met somewhere near the middle, if you don't take it, now the now all the public opinion switches over. Now you start to see the wave of people saying, look at these greedy players. Look at how much they won. I mean, competitive balance tax is going to go up from 210 to 228 in this agreement within a year. You see a raise in major in my, in, uh, in in minimum salaries. You see this arbitration pool that never existed before. You see a, a draft lottery that's instituted. We also might see some new rules that Major League Baseball wants. I'm sure that's included in them coming up the eight million dollars. Uh, say goodbye to the shift. I guarantee it. the The bases are going to be slightly larger. I hope it's not comical. I don't I don't understand how the base size makes a big difference. I, I can't wait to see what this looks like. All right, the, you're gonna you're gonna see a pitch clock. You know, they're, they're trying to get robot umps put in in the next couple of years. So you're going to you're going to see an awful lot inside of this deal if it gets taken. But in the end, the competitive balance tax was always the big sticking point. 
And I, I will be very interested to learn why, if this is rejected, it was rejected. Because if the, if the ownership is truly coming up to about middle between their last offer and the player's last offer, and it's not accepted, not, you really have to start scrutinizing what is going on behind the scenes. Who is actually influencing the players? And the two things that come into my mind, Chris, is that <laughs> I just keep on seeing the words bad faith just like popping in front of my head because that's the biggest thing that everybody that's on the MLBPA side is saying that it's like the owners are operating in this bad faith, in this bad faith. Well, the other thing that keeps in my head, and stick with me, Chris, here, I know it's early in the morning, I don't know if I've had enough coffee, but I also see the video of Vanilla Ice trying to explain the difference between his song and Under Pressure. You know you know the old video, I'm dating myself here, where he goes, it doesn't go ding da ding 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 ours goes ding da ding 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 Well, the players are coming <laughs> and saying, you know what? I remember our last, Our last offer is 230 Eight million. Our new offer is two hundred and thirty-eight million. Like, so they're not coming off of their offer either. Like, I- I'm trying to stay like as not like impartial as possible, but I see like the the parts of what each side is doing wrong in this. And in the end, we're sitting here. What is it? It's it's March eighth. We should be like a week deep into spring training games. We should be watching battles. We shouldn't be watching videos of all the minor league players. And I love minor league players, but I'm kind of getting tired of seeing how this guy's pitching. I don't want to see Mitch Keller in a, in a freaking, you know, barn in Iowa pitching and like saying he's pitching hundred miles an hour. I want to see that in a spring training game. So that's where like, I'm just getting just overly frustrated. Like, I know that a lot of people are like, okay, and you had said, if this happens, more more angst goes towards the players. My angst goes everywhere at this point in time. Like my brain, that's just kind of where it goes, is that you're trying to say, you know, we've made all these concessions, which I will agree, the players have made concessions. The salary arbitration stuff, the years until free agency, those, those were off the table like right away. And maybe they should have held on to those a little bit longer. Maybe they those would be more bargaining chips, but maybe they also saw it as a non-starter. MLB had the salary cap in the beginning. And their first proposal before all this got shut down, there was that goofy 180-100. They moved off of that even before they made their first official proposal again. So, I mean, there are different stuff. You talked about the draft lottery. You talked about, you know, creating a player pool. Like, there have been concessions made on either side. At this point in time, it's like, okay, this side is 70% wrong and this side is 30% wrong. I, I don't know why we're arguing. They're both wrong. Like at this point in time, they're both wrong. I've been on the side of the players through this in terms of they they do have a crappy deal when you compare it in a lot of ways to other major sports and that the owners have have you know played tricks here i mean let's be honest as somebody who sat as a union negotiator some of the stuff they did was the same kind of stuff that would just aggravate the crap out of me you know pushing back meetings on purpose waiting until close to a deadline i've seen that before and it's aggravating because you're like why can't we just sit down and talk about this you know why can't we have all the decision makers in a room right here right now 
But no, they got to go back and they got to talk to all the other owners and then they come back and they go, oh, that thing we thought we could do, we can't do. I mean, I can see how the players can get aggravated. You had the propaganda network, uh, MLB network, the night of the first deadline, telling everybody it's going to happen pushing out information to try to make it look like everything was done to put pressure on the players. There's been some tactics that have been done to the union from the from the owner's side that that have been in bad faith. They, they have been things that I, as a union negotiator, would be like, that's some crap right there. I mean, I, I would have been sitting at the table going, really? That's what you're pulling? You know, stick it up your butt. I mean, you know, you do get mad at those tables. It, it's not... They try to make it seem like it's super professional and you're sitting there and you try to do that. But I I mean, seriously, I've heard F-bombs thrown back back and forth. I've thrown them back and forth at somebody. Okay, it gets nasty in there because of stuff like that. So I can understand that. But there's always was a point. There always was a point when I would go to my separate corner with the people that I was negotiating with. Be like, they're a bunch of jags like they, they are the worst type of human being. I hate them. Right. But. Look what we got so far. And at the beginning, when we sat down six months ago or a year ago and we started planning this out, would we have been happy with this? Is it worth what we're going to suffer from by holding out? You know, like in our case, it would be having to fight over back pay, right? That would be something that I would have to do. I was working for a 911 dispatchers union and it would be if we don't take this we will be fighting the back pay fight too while we're still trying to get this up. And this was a deal that if you would have talked to us six months ago, we would have said, I'll take that. If that's the worst case, I'll take that and we'll, we'll, we'll all take a breath and we'll move on and we'll approach these other things. We've laid the foundation for future negotiations, especially this arbitration pool. They can say that to themselves, especially with the way that the draft lottery is happening. They can say that to themselves because they can come back in four or five years and they can go, we want to tweak that. And when it's a tweak, it's a lot easier to move it to where you wanted it now. So so in my mind, I think this is a, a moment for the Players Association. They need that time where they go, hold on a second. I know we all got pissed. I know we exchanged text messages. I know we've uh, we've all sat up and had a couple of beers and said, F them, we're going to kick their asses. I mean, really, like we, you get angry, you talk junk, you're you're ticked. There's emotion here. OK, look, if there's emotion for my piddly 911 dispatcher contract, there's emotion over millions of dollars. There's probably a lot yeah. more emotion over millions of dollars. Right. I mean, like there's a lot of it and it's in the public eye and, and you don't want to look like you folded. I don't think they look like they folded. Not when everybody understands that eight owners, eight greedy owners can actually hold up an entire baseball season. It is not when you have it, when you have the, you know, the Yankees team president coming out saying, let's get this done. When you have other owners that are now, you could see it a little bit where you're getting that there's validation there for them. And that's what I'm hoping happens here. I'm hoping that they feel like we can hold our head high. And we can say we accomplished something and we set up the next group in five years to do more. And if they can come to that, then I think we'll have baseball and we'll have baseball very quickly and we'll have a full season. But it all comes down to whether or not they can accept that. I mean, they might get hung up on this CBT thing. I'm looking up exactly what the proposal is that John Heyman put out that supposedly Major League Baseball put out. And yeah, they meet him in the middle in year one. In the year five, it's a big difference. Now, they, they went up, they basically went up $8 million a year on their proposal of their CBT. 
from where they last were. They basically just kept going up. Uh, they, they ended 240 in year five. The players want 263 in year five. Their increments were actually a greater percentage year by year than what Major League Baseball's was. So when you get to year five, there's a gap. On the other hand, that that I don't know if that's something that I'm going to I'm going to argue about as much because in five years I get to go back and I get to push it again and I can sit there and say, okay, this is what your normal rate of increase was over the last five years. Just do that again. Like, you know, that's the thing you're setting precedent here. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know the entire thing. I don't know what each side has, but I do know this. If the players can sit there and take a breath and say, yeah, I don't like these guys, but look what we did. Is it good enough? And they can honestly say, it is good enough. We're happy with it. You're going to get baseball. If not, pff, who knows, man? And, and Chris, that's kind of where I'm at because I, I I just think about the whole process each time. It's like, okay, where did we start? And every single time that they actually sit down to the table, there's like 50 billion tweets about if the owners didn't wait, you know, those 43 days. And, and with with you sitting on that side, and that's where like that that bad faith comes in, and I can see that it's also a negotiating tactic. It's also something that everybody's just like, well, why aren't the players there right now when they don't have a CBA? And it was even I think it was Rachel Luba who everybody hates because she represents you know the devil himself and Trevor Bauer, who she's actually an agent, put out a video and said, well. I can kind of see why they did that, because if not, we're sitting there in June, there's still no agreement, and then the players strike. Like, it, that's happened before. That There's precedence for that. So I, I just kind of get caught up in, like, I want there to be baseball so bad. I, I pretty much, like I said, at this point, have made everybody the bad guy. But I can see where, you know, the owner's... They're not good people. They're not. They're trying to make as much money for themselves as possible. And I, I wanted to get into that goofy report that came out where, like, you know, before Evan uh, Drellich came out and said, these are the four owners who were, like, up against, like, even moving it from, you know, 210 whatsoever. Do you remember that, Chris? Like, it was, like, last week where it's just, like, there's going to be – somebody said there's four owners, and everybody started taking guesses of who they who they were. And, of course, Bob Nutting was on that list. And I'm not defending Bob Nutting – but inside conversations with people, I'm just like, there's no way that Bob Nutting even really cares about that too much. I mean, he may jump on that side, but then when it comes out, of it's the Angels, it's the Reds, it's the Diamondbacks. There's, there's players, you know, the people like that. I'm like, well, that makes a lot more sense. It's the Tigers. Because the times that the Tigers have actually gone over the CBT, they've had some of their worst seasons. The Angels... I mean, I don't care if he's a billionaire or not, but they've spent out the nose, and I feel like they spent the money wrong. But they're just like, we're already spending 180-some million. We don't know what we're doing. It's kind of what it sounds like to me. Like, why should we spend more? The Reds, who, like, I have, since the time we started doing this podcast, is like, why are the Reds spending the money the way they are? Because they're not really getting any better. So I could see a team like that saying, you know what? I don't want this to go up anymore because then – we may be pressured or feel like we have to spend more money. And honestly, we we may not know how to do it the right way or may not have done it the right way. So why are we going to spend out the nose in our eyes like we've done the past few years to make the playoffs 
in a shortened season and get kicked out in three games or not even make the playoffs this year in spite of being in the race at the end. Like, I don't know, Chris. I just feel like there's just so much, like, animosity towards everything. And like you said, most of the fighting right now online between people is the pitch clock, which if you look in the rule book, there's already a pitch clock. It's just not being enforced. It's not as stringent as the ones I've seen proposed. It's not the 19 second, 14 second, 17 second, 12 second. I think it's a 21 second pitch clock. Which is fine with me. Which is fine, and but they just don't enforce it. So just choose to enforce it. And the the shift, everybody's just like, well, then, you know, well, they're not they're not gonna be able to shift when, you know, there's runners on. Like they're just gonna have to stand in their places. No. The one that they're trying to get away from is when you have seven guys on the right side of the field. They're making a restriction as to how many people can be on either side of second base. Yeah. I, I, I watch. See, here's the thing. I know exactly what the owner's proposal is because Harold Reynolds showed me on the propaganda network. He, he got that directly from the owners. MLB Network's not reporting anything. If it's an owner's proposal, I guarantee you they have the exact wording of it when they give it out because it's them. That, 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 MLB Networking is, is an extension of Major League Baseball. Brian Kenny is, is is great with stats. I love I love his programs. He's an absolute company man. All right. I mean, Harold Reynolds is uh, you know dorky and funny and you know tells silly stories and messes up. And Matt Baskurgeon you know plays sound bites in the morning and they, it's a big pile of laughs. Company men. They are the mouthpiece. There is an actual media network that is supporting one side. So when he broke it down. I understood what their point is and why they're saying it. Major League Baseball is trying to say it will increase offense. It will make the game more exciting. And it will make second base have to become a premium keystone position again, where you can't just put some dude there, right? You can't just put some guy who hits a bunch of home runs, but you're not worried about his defense because you can keep shifting the shortstop to the other side of second, and he only has to cover a small amount of ground. And so we, you can't do that anymore, and it will change the way that position is played and bring it back to the style that people were used to back in the day. And I don't have any argument that can really tell you that the shift benefits Major League Baseball. I always thought it was kind of silly to ban something because somebody came up with a good idea it was a good idea to start moving that. And I always thought the players should just learn how to bunt. Bunt it down the third base line. Hit, hit it to the opposite side. You'll break the shift. The shift will go away. But Major League Baseball can't get these guys to do that. So I, I understand what their point is. You can argue till the sun, you know, the sun goes up, goes down, whatever. You can, you can argue forever about whether or not you like it or not. But I know why they're doing it. And I'm not going to be totally opposed to it because, look, you're, you're going to have everybody. You're basically going to say you can't put three guys on this side of the base. You can't put three guys on this side of the base. You know what you're going to have? You're going to have a you're going to have a moment in a game in a big situation where some manager is going to come out and start screaming that the shortstop is one foot to the wrong side of the base, and and they'll be they'll be trying to draw a line from the pitcher's mound through second base straight through and saying I don't know how much of his body's over that line. Like that's what's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to be stupid, but that's what's going to happen. There's going to be a World Series moment or a playoff game moment where where some some manager has been watching this all year long where like let's say Carlos Correa cuz he's a big cheat, okay? Is constantly waiting until the moment the pitch is thrown and takes two steps to the other side of second base. And they'll be like you can't do that. And then there'll be this screaming and yelling of no no no, the ball was in play. 
Like, it, it, look, it'll be interesting to watch. I can't wait to see it. I don't know if I'm going to like it or not. I'm going to give it a chance. But I have already come up with what, how they, immediately you'll have teams try to figure out, well, how do we break this? How do we still get that guy to the other side of second base when the, when the time comes? And then you know what you're going to have? You're going to have that one play where a big hit happens and it's going to get hit to right where Correa was, except he had taken four steps the moment the ball came out of the pitcher's hand and he was completely out of position. Like, you know, I mean, it'll be, it'll, it'll be interesting. That's for sure. We will, we will have something interesting to watch on the replay of certain hits. Yeah. And it's, it's just going to be, it's going to be changes that are made in the beginning when the shift happened, that the Pirates were one of the teams that were ahead of the curve in this, in those, you know, 2011 through 15, where they were, we're throwing all sinker balls and we're shifting and we're going to be right in position and we're going to hit into that shift and we're going to play well and everybody loved it. And now it's just kind of morphed into something where a guy hits like a 108 mile an hour, you know, to right field, and it's right where the second baseman's standing, who is, you know, 10 feet in front of, you know, your right fielder, who's, you know, elbow to elbow with your center fielder. I mean, we'll all get used to it, and if if it's those types of things, like, it's still going to be baseball. There's still going to be ways around, you know, these guys are smart. Craig, I'm thinking about the shift thing. I'm sorry. I I got to go back to this, okay? I got to go back to this. I mean, like this, this is, no, seriously, this is what we should be talking about instead of getting so angry with these, about this stuff that we can't control. Let's, let's think about this. So let's say the shift tells the infielders where they can be, but it doesn't tell the outfielders where they can be. And right away, somebody says, we're going to bounce our shortstop back into the area of shallow left field. And we're going to shift our outfielders over where we're going to put the left fielder in left center. We're going to bring the center fielder up and have him stand like in short right field and that's how they still they still shift. Like they're going to find a way to shift. They're going to Oh yeah, they're like, going to gonna be like, "Hold on, oh, that's just this. Now I'm going to move my outfielder here. Now I'm going to do this. Now I'm going to move this guy over here." Like it'll be interesting to see how the rules are written because I'm already coming up with ways in my head as to how to break the rule. Because the way that Harold Reynolds kind of described it was on MLB Network was, well, you know, the, you got to keep the two infielders on this side and the two infielders on that side. I'm like, "Oh, you forgot the outfielders, Harold." Because now what we're going to do is we're going to drop them back. Unless they're going to make them have to stay in the dirt, right? Like you can't yeah, play on the I've, grass. I've seen that. I've and seen if, that. you got to have like one foot in the dirt. Right. And if you're going to play that kind of game, now you're almost putting a little bit of a restriction on the players because you would have guys come up before anybody ever shifted and they would sit back in 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 the grass. I remember I remember ball players standing back in the grass at second or at short against a big hitter before anybody thought of the shift. So that that's going to have an effect on things too, you know, getting that little extra space on a guy that just hits, you know, hits the ball hard. And you're like, I'm just going to take a few steps back here, especially at second base. Now he's not going to be allowed oh, yeah. to do that. So, I mean, like, it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. It's going to, I mean, it's uh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about it. I'm curious about the pitch clock too. I'm, I'm going to tell you, like, like to me, they do take too much time on the mound. They, they take oh, way there, too much. There's some guys. There's some guys. Do, but here's the thing is, and part of that also has to do with the shifting. Because like, I can remember um, talking to Gary, and he had gone to a game, and Ben Gamble was up, and they shifted on Ben Gamble, like, you know, 10 times in, like, one at bat. Like, that slows down the pace of the play as well. But my big thing, Chris, is I was just thinking that if the bigger bases existed, 
Because Brian Hayes would have had a home run that one time when he missed the base. Like, there's no way he could have missed a bigger base. Right. That's all I'm thinking about. The right bigger now. base thing, I don't, I don't, <laughs> why does the base have to be bigger? Are they going to put one of those orange ones next to uh, first base? So that oh, you, so don't... you can like step to the side of it. So you're not even like stepping on somebody's ankle or something. Right. I Is guess it... that's like, that would be interesting. Like first base, if they made first base a little bigger, they would prevent some injuries and it might take away some of the, the ridiculousness of the, the path to first base down the first base line because they're aiming for something different because they're not allowed to hit the white thing. So now they have to hit the orange. So now it would be almost crazy for them to be out into the field of play. Like you see guys do from time to time for interference calls. So, I mean, that would be interesting too. I mean, it'd be, it'd be stupid. The baseball purist in me would be furiously angry. Like, 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 what is this? What is this? A a 10 year old girls softball league. Look at that base. Like I'd be really upset about it. At least you're laughing now, Chris. You're not mad anymore. You're like thinking, what are all the comical things that could happen? Yeah. With, with these the, new rules. The, because the, I, I already know the shift thing's going to happen. I look, I can, I will tell you right now, I'll bet anybody there will be a moment in a big game where an, a, a manager is going to come out and start motioning towards second base and screaming that that guy's on the other side of the base and they're going to take the telestrator and they're going to be drawing a line. And in three years, you're going to have a white line running up the middle of the field. And and that's going to really aggravate you. See, that's going to be the real problem. Otherwise, it's going to be judgment call by the umpires. And so then what we're doing is we're giving judgment calls to umpires out there, but we're still talking about robot humps in, 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 behind home plate. Like, I mean, look, look, get back to baseball so we can dive into this crap. Because this is going to be, this is like a like a hornet's nest of, of absurdities that could occur because of the new rules. Anytime anybody institutes a new rule, there is a, an unintended consequence. And so I'm fascinated by the unintended consequences of a shift rule, of a pitch clock, of all these different things. I mean, like imagine you have, an, if you have, if you have a manager that comes out three times to argue that the pitch clock is not being enforced, think of the amount of time that gets added into the game for the argument. Yeah. So will they later say that really isn't having much of an effect because there's so many arguments? Then the umpires have to be like brutal with the whole thing, right? You could see a game yeah, get yeah, influenced. I can't, I can't wait, Chris, until because I saw it happen in the Arizona Fall League once. Uh, it was on on tape where the batter didn't get back into the box on time because it's on the it's on the batter too. It's not just on the pitcher, and they called a strike, which is actually in the rule book. So they were just enforcing what should be happening, but they said we're going to actually enforce it in this just to see how it speeds up the game. Right. That's going to be the most hilarious thing of, of seeing a batter pouting about getting a strike called on him for a pitch not even being thrown. I can't wait to see that. Now I see